0: Podcast. Uh, happy uh, New Year, as this is our hopefully our first podcast of the new year that uh, we are doing in 2022. Um, and again, we have some a lot of great information, some new stuff uh, that you can find over on my website, Uh, That'll give you a lot of information on some of the goals and things I want to try to do this year with the podcast. So go uh, over to that website and check it out. Uh, But today we're going to be talking about kind of the state of worship. And uh, when we think about worship in a traditional church setting, we think of all aspects of worship from prayer to music, to announcements, to um, the technology, to the instruments, even all the way down to the message that's being proclaimed um, to the people at the church. So, there's a lot of stuff we want to kind of dive and discuss, um, and with me is Micah Current. He is a pastor, um, kind of, a, I guess, a traveling pastor. What, um, the worship leader has done a lot of different things, so I'll have Micah go ahead and just share uh, who he is and what he does. So, Micah, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thanks, Scott. Um, yeah, Scott said, I, uh, I'm i a pastor ordained through the Church of God, Anderson, and um kind of in a transition phase of my life at the moment and just even over the last year and a half to two years like working full-time in a mega church to feeling like I wasn't supposed to be there and then now um, kind of doing consulting and traveling and leading worship at various churches that need me to fill in every weekend and also trying to find a home church at the same time so yeah
0: <laughs> there we go we're kind of in the same boat
1: <laughs> yes yes <clears throat>
0: <laughs> but uh, so today we're going to talk about worship and a lot of times when we think about worship music is always kind of front and center uh, anytime when I mean sometimes I always feel like there was always these arguments when people talk about worship and people have to say, well worship is the full service, not just the music, Um now, growing up in the church, and Mike, I think you and me are kind of similar in age in some ways. I think I might be a little bit older than you, um, um, but um, yeah, so I know growing up in the church, did you ever experience the term worship war growing up in the church?
1: I sure did, um, and I think, yeah, you are just a couple of years older than I am, okay. but um my dad too is a church of God pastor and has been doing it for 40 years. And the term worship war um, has had multiple meanings over the years. Um, I think uh, more specifically, like growing up in my dad's church or the churches that my dad pastored, he was more on the traditional side of things. Whereas I was younger and really wanted to turn that page and, you know, dive into more of the contemporary, which I don't have a problem with either, but, theologically and um, just the sound of music. Music's my heartbeat. I love music. That's just Mm -hmm. my life. I think that all of these churches kind of like push the envelope, if you will. Um, We just name them Elevation Church, Jesus Culture, Hillsong, Bethel. um, Just all, um, and there's so many, so many big churches that have like written music. That's just not your normal traditional hymns. your traditional worship music. It's something more and something else. And to me, it's like bringing scripture to life. And a lot of these groups are writing music and really finding what the word says and like trying to make it relatable to people. And I think there's something to be said about singing a song such as like, all hail the power of Jesus name, which is a great hymn. It's a great (laughs) hymn of our faith, but it's like 200 years old. So like not everybody's going to get that. And not everybody is as churched as you or I are, Scott.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's, it's fascinating because I know, like you said, worship boards had had a variety of changes. You know, for me, it was always, do we play contemporary music or do we play traditional music? Or do we um, do both? Then, or do you do both? And then even when you do both, you would still have people complain, well, you played more traditional than you did contemporary. And I mean, we had a worship leader who was a member of the church and volunteered to do it. And I think after a year, just kind of stepped down from it because it was that type of stuff. Like, well, you're doing more of this, you're doing more of that. And it was just wild. And, and, and it's interesting that you said something, you said, you mentioned that, you know, so a lot of what music's trying to do today is trying to take the word, trying to, make music trying to form songs around like maybe a scripture or a scripture theme, and then really try to connect it to your everyday people. Um, And then, you you know, you talk about songs being 200 years old and, you know, you could think about, you know, a mighty fortress is our God by Martin Luther. Like how old is that song? Like hundreds of years old, (laughs) hundreds of years old, hundreds of years old. And yet I, and it's like one of those things where, You can sing it and it's like, okay, yeah, great. But then sometimes it's like, well, is this really connecting with people, especially people who didn't grow up in the church and, you know, they're used to kind of that radio music, that type of music, that style, that quality. So when you walk in and you're hearing kind of those similar qualities in music in a worship set, then it's very easy for, you know, people who don't have a church background to be able to come in and go, oh, you know, this sounds just like the stuff I listen to on the radio, except it's more positive and uplifting. And they talk about Jesus instead of, you know, their ex-husband or or whatever it may be.
1: (laughs) Well, what's interesting, you bring that up, the radio conversation, which I think that's a whole separate conversation that we could have. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But I also believe as a worship leader, as a pastor, as a leader that like, Music is a universal language. However, mm-hmm. if you listen to something like Star ninety three three or um, K Love or something like that, that plays Christian music. Christian music, to me, isn't always worship music. Yeah, but it also speaks to different people differently. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, like for me, I may not worship to a Matthew West song the way that I worship to a Bethel music song. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's more meat and more validity. And Bethel speaks to me worship wise more so than Matthew West. And I had an interesting conversation about a month ago with somebody in regards to, Oh, Matthew West is worship. Well, maybe worship to you, but may not be worship to me. Yeah. Meaning that like a lot of these popular Christian artists are writing songs about people's stories, which is great because everybody has a story and scripture tells us that like we're redeemed by the grace of God. Mm -hmm. And by doing so, if that song speaks to you and that song's about you and if that's your story and how God redeemed you and saved you and brought you out of the pit of darkness and praise God, you're saved because of his grace. However, I may not feel that way. And you may not feel that way. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, there's a time where I got into a point where when it came to worship, music just wasn't doing it for me. Um, and it was but then like i could have i think i was somewhere i can't remember i was I think i was traveling i went to a church and right before the sermon they did kind of a skit that led up to the sermon and anytime when i hear skits in church i'm just like oh, oh.
1: no and it's the worship pastor and me the worship pastor and me the same deal like i'm like oh man what is this going to look like what are people going to think it, is it, this going to go I mean, over well be,
0: and is it just going to be something like let's just get people laughing cuz they're usually just cheesy and corny but they did it such a way that was so powerful it actually moved me i was like mm-hmm. whoa and then as the pastor was preaching the message it just really connected with me and especially as someone who at the time was getting his bachelor's in theater it was like oh this is this there's something here where you could really make like dance and theater, be a part of the worship service and do it in such a way that can really impact people uh, for the kingdom of God. Um, But yeah, like you mentioned about the, um, you know, different styles of music and how sometimes it can connect to people. And I think as a worship leader, how hard is it to try to develop a worship service that not only kind of you want to be true to maybe what the pastor's preaching about or true, how you feel the Lord's leading on what songs you want to play to kind of lead people in the worship. And then how do you deal with people who are like, well, how come you didn't play? Why'd you play this song instead of this song or especially like Easter? Cause I know Easter is always like, a hotbed of like well you didn't play because he lives like what in the world or you didn't play the resurrection song like why we always play the resurrection song on easter like how do you how do you navigate some of the um difficulties
1: yeah so that's a great question um and i'm 34 years old and i'm still trying to figure that out today (laughs) um but like But ultimately, Scott, I think think it really boils down to what kind of church are you and what Mm -hmm. kind of culture are you creating, whether that's worship, whether that's teaching, whether that's a combination of worship and teaching. Um, What does your weekend experience look like? Um, For me, I've always worked in mid to larger churches um, in size, congregation-wise. I've worked in churches that have had 300 people, but I've also worked in churches that have had multiple campuses, and they run over 1,000 on the weekend. And so... For me, it's all about the culture you're creating. Um, if people understand the culture and know the culture, then it's going to be received better than if it's just a hodgepodge of different stuff every week, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because like I've been to churches where literally every week something's different. Like, like you're talking about like a like a drama. There's a drama one week and then the next week there's somebody doing, um, you know, a children's Christmas play. And then the next week we're doing communion. And then the next week we're, you know, the pastor's not preaching the same series in, you know, four weeks in a row or six weeks in a row. But I've also been on the flip side of that where we have series planned out a year in advance. We know what the series are. We've got the series branded and marketed for our social media and our website and everything that we're doing to make sure that when people walk in for our weekend worship experience, everything from the music to the teaching, to the bumper video that they see is all related to the topic that we're preaching. And that's very um, big church, if you wanna call it that, um, mega church, larger churches, um, because I have friends that are on staff at you know, Crossroads Church in Cincinnati and other churches in the area that they plan literally every minute to their service. But like I have people that have told me that have went to Bethel and Bethel services run three hours long And an hour and a half of that or an hour and 45 minutes of that is just worship. And some of it's spontaneous and some of it's not planned, but like, I don't know if that answers your question, but for me, I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm very tactical. I'm a tactical leader. I like to plan stuff out Mm -hmm. and in my worship leading, I can be spontaneous. And I feel like the Holy Spirit is telling me that, Hey, let's sing that song again. Let's sing that chorus again. Let's go back to that bridge or you know, the Lord's leading me in a different direction, and let's go into this song instead of this song and just follow me and follow the, the leading, you know, of the Spirit versus we have to know every single moment of every single service. Yeah. There's a balance. I think there's a balance. And like the big thing with that, regardless of your size of church, regardless of the denomination or not denomination that you're associated with, it's all about creating that culture of excellence and creating the culture of who you are in your identity in Christ and as a church and as leaders. Yeah.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I think, and I think kind of the follow-up with the, you know, how do you navigate, I guess, you know, create a worship service that kind of navigates different people's opinions or things, whether it's, you know, having that hour and a half long worship service or you have like a 20-minute or style. I think one of the things, and you you mentioned it, you hit it on the head with culture. You know, what culture are you creating? And mm-hmm. I think a lot of times, especially when you're a new pastor or even a new worship leader and you maybe you have an assignment of hey you know this is a church where we typically do more of a blended we want to go full modern so we want to kind of ease our way in there and as a worship leader you can do that and then you may get some feedback pushback pushback from the congregants, like whoa hey how come we're playing these songs are, they're, they're too loud or, or why do are we singing this song where we're saying the same thing, like over and over and over again, or, you know, or whatever the case may be, however. And I think one of the things that I've always found with worship and people is like you said, everyone has a story. Um, And I mean, a great example would be like my mother-in-law, like Easter service. Anytime you sing the song um, because he lives, it reminds her of her dad. And, yeah. you know, her dad passed away years ago. But, you know, in that moment, it's very experiential. It's like in that song sing she goes, you know, I just think of my dad and, and just all the great things he was and, you know, all the times we'd go to church together, and there's a connection. And I think sometimes that's something but then, you know, the worship leader who doesn't happen to play it on Easter that Sunday, you know, for my mother in law, she probably wouldn't care. But I know some people probably would. And I think one of the things is, you know, when you talk to people, one of the things I always do is, you know, listen to them and i try to understand like, okay, well, why are you upset and try to understand their point of view, but then also kind of say, well, Hey, this is the culture that we're trying to achieve. Here's kind of the goal. Here's the mission. Here's the plan that pastor so-and-so talked about. So these are some of the steps that we are making and just kind of, Move in that, and you know, when you try to help move people along to help understand the vision of where you're leading as far as how worship services are going to be not only that particular Sunday, but possibly in the future of how worship is going to be. Um,
1: and I think it's interesting, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was gonna say, I think it's interesting too because, like, I've really been, um, I don't want to say enamored. Cause that would be kind of like worshiping something that I'm not supposed to be. Right. <laughs> but like false idols. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm thinking like, I've really enjoyed watching Bethel over the last year, year and a half, two years. Um, Paul and Hannah McClure are some of the worship leaders out there. They're my favorite worship leaders right now. But like a couple of weeks ago, they led worship um, for Bethel's main campus and they did, you know, this 50 minute set and there's six or seven songs. And they're like, the majority of the songs are written by Bethel. Like there are a lot of Bethel songs that are written by Bethel Church. Mm-hmm. They went they went off like into the spontaneous moment where Paul led, "Oh how I love Jesus," mm-hmm. and then "Tis so sweet to trust Jesus." And it was just like it fit so perfectly for what they were doing in that moment. Now yeah. are they going to sing hymns every single week? No, absolutely yeah. not. However, they've created that culture and created that space that people come to Bethel, knowing A, that it's it's more of a charismatic Pentecostal worship, B, that it's going to be lengthy in time, and then C, they're going to do a lot of their own stuff, but they may squeeze in how great is our God, or squeeze in an old hymn like, oh, how I love Jesus, or mm-hmm. because he lives, or something like that yeah. to appeal to everybody, and like Scott, there is no perfect formula to it because I've been doing pastoral ministry for 10 years and I've been in several different arenas, churches, types of churches. And I see just, it just amazes me as a worship leader. When I see there's somebody in their sixties who loves Hillsong United and they could care less about hymns, but then there's also somebody who's 60 and that's all they want is hymns. Yeah. Like it's just, it, it's really astonishing to me to see the Difference in every arena, every church, every type of church. Yeah, um, I led worship a couple of months ago. I had a last minute fill in at a Presbyterian church here in town where we live. They sing doxology every single week, but they'll sing modern praise songs Bless the Lord, 10,000 Reasons, mm-hmm. This is Amazing Grace, um, Waymaker, other tunes like that. But every Sunday, they're singing doxology because that's just what they do, yeah.
0: Yeah. And yeah. And I think that's and I, it's and I think for anybody who's a worship leader or maybe because, you know, I mean, there's people who are trained as worship leaders who've been doing it for years. And then there's some people who are just volunteers. Mm-hmm. And I feel like those people who are just volunteers, like even you saying, you know, I've been doing worship. I've been leading worship for X amount of years and I still don't have it, get it. Still can't figure it out or get it right or create and find that balance. And I feel like sometimes that could be encouraging to the person who may be listening, who's the volunteer, who feels like they're just doing their best and they're trying to do something and they're just constantly getting, you know, pushback by, you know, all sides of the aisle. And I'll encourage
1: your listeners. Don't be afraid to try something new. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, I've been like I said, like, you know, I haven't shared my whole story um, with your audience, but like. I walked away from a full-time ministry job over a year ago, walked away from a full-time salary because I felt like God was telling me to go pursue his people and pursue, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the need for technology and other things like that, you know, during the time of of COVID. But like it was one of the most fruitful seasons of my life because I'm literally walking into a different church every week, whether it's Mm -hmm. Presbyterian or Baptist or Mennonite or church of God, church of Christ, non-denominational. And I find myself just like, Man, some of these people are the sweetest people I've ever met in my life, and they're not stuck in the mundane, wash rinse repeat of what we do. And maybe that was just my experience because mm-hmm. I'm li- I'm literally going to a different place every week. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's it, it's just been so fruitful and rewarding to know that there are those people out there and that they want to worship God. And the the goal at the end of the day should be to worship God. And so what I would say to you know the worship leader who's a volunteer. You know, don't be afraid to dive into something new. Don't be afraid to try different things. Don't be able, you know, don't be hesitant to ask questions or reach out or feel like you're inferior or feel like you're not wanted or you're less than because you ask for help. That was probably a mistake that I've made over, you know, my 10 plus years in pastoral ministry. And even to this day is like, do not be afraid to ask for help. Don't be intimidated by the fact that somebody wants your job, but it's biblical, you know, Paul tells us when he's teaching to Timothy, we need to raise up leaders. We need to raise up another generation of worship leaders of Christ followers. And like, that should be our priority. We should almost, (laughs) we're almost in the business of making replacements, right? Scott, like not in a way of like, Hey, they're going to take our salary, take our position, but you shouldn't be intimidated by the fact that somebody could cover for you if you needed to, because you've raised them in the word and raised them in in what Jesus looks like. And, you know, Rate, especially in the arena of worship which is what we're talking about raising up other worship leaders so like hey maybe there's a sunday if i'm full-time at a church and i'm a, you know i have a worship team and i've established who my who my identity is um as a team and, and our uh, church is a culture of excellence and all that stuff that we were talking about earlier i think that um it's okay if the main worship leader sits down a week if you've created that excellence if you created that mm-hmm. um culture of excellence and like you have people and you've raised leaders up that can handle that, then that's what we're supposed to do. Right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, it reminds me of, you know, when I first came to Virginia, we had the same four people leading worship Mm -hmm. or actually, no, sorry, same three people leading worship all the time. And then when they left, we had this void and I just kind of put out there like who would like to help. And literally I had seven people, who are willing to step up and do it. And there's a part of me that thought, you know, how much talent did we have that didn't go up there because you had another group of people who kind of had a monopoly over the worship and the songs and how everything was and didn't allow other people to kind of go and do rotations. Cause it would be, I mean, even like with having just two or three people up on stage singing you could easily do a rotation with seven people, but when you have the same three people doing it, then it's like, well, when they're on vacation or they get sick, then what did you guys do before you had a pastor? How would you feel? It's like, Oh, well, we just kind of jumped in. It's like, well, that, that's very spontaneous, but at the same time, you, you should probably have a plan on what you're going to do and what you're going to sing.
1: And um, I think I, I, to that point, Scott, I think to that. um, one of the cooler things about, you know, being in a larger ministry or a larger church is that, you know, you talked about teams and rotating teams, you know, and some of the churches I've worked at, like you may play once a month, you may serve once a month and not every week. And that's okay because you can go and sit with your wife and be with your kids and and go to church and, you know, experience church and not have to worry about serving every week.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I think even if you, because I have a buddy of mine who's a pastor at Virginia Beach, and he's trained his elder board. And this is Stephen more-
1: Roby. Shout out to Stephen Roby. Yep, Stephen Roby.
0: Hey, Stephen, for talking no, about Doctor
1: Dr. Stephen Doctor just got Stephen Roby. Stephen Roby.
0: That's right. But even like how he, you know, just talking with him and how he's trained his elder board, and he says sometimes, you know, I'll have my elder board preach on Sunday, regardless if I'm on vacation or if I'm still there, and I'm just being a regular worshiper that I'm just can kind of have that mode. And I'm, and I'm thinking, you know, that's genius. Cause you know, it, it seems like a lot of times just the way the American church system is, is you have a pastor who serves, 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 or leaders who serve, 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 serve. And then they may or may not get a sabbatical in seven years. My <laughs>
1: Funny, uh, random connection with Steve Robey. Um, Steve was the youth pastor at Temple church where I did my internship when I was in grad school, oh, so Steve okay. and I worked together. Um, I led worship for youth ministry for him. And then when they started young adult ministry there, I, I led worship for the young adult ministry when he was there. So he's awesome. a good friend of mine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So shout out to Steve Roby, water's edge church. Go check him out. <laughs> uh, definitely. We'll have to tag him in it. Like, Hey, we talked about you in this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you have to figure out where it is. So you have to listen to the whole thing. <laughs> but so there's something you said, you talked about Bethel and you talked about their, how you'd like to listen to their worship music and their worship leaders and, and use their music. And this brings us to another, and I don't know if we would call this like worship wars 2.0 or 3.0 or 10.0 or whatever version this is. But one of the things I've been seeing arguments I've been seeing is people saying that they wouldn't play anything written by Bethel or by a Hillsong or by an elevation, because they don't agree or support their theology. Um, So what are your thoughts on that particular um, talking point?
1: Man, Scott, you're asking all the great questions today. Um,
0: (laughs) I'll answer it, but I want you to answer it
1: first. Sure. So, no, no, I got you. Um, So, It's interesting, you know, before I answer that question, I think, you know, I've, especially during COVID, you know, when we were sitting at home at first, which I wasn't, I was at church every week producing and, and, and putting together services and scrambling to put the content online so that people, you know, in our congregation could see it. Um, But I spent a lot of time watching different churches, whether it was local or some of the bigger churches. And like, it's funny because like, I enjoyed Bethel worship but I don't really enjoy their teaching. I enjoy elevation worship, but I really enjoy Stephen Furtick's teaching. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's just, it really is dependent on the church and it's, it's dependent on who's speaking, but back to your question about theology and worship. Um, I think that we should be very careful at what we pick as worship leaders and why, and what works best for us. Um, dependent on the ministry that we're currently serving. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, if I'm at, you know, Scott Stedman community church, I'm not going to, this is just, you know, for example, <laughs> sake, I'm not going to be Bethel church. I'm not going to be Jesus culture. I'm not yes. going to be elevation or Hillsong. I'm going to be Scott Stedman community church. Yeah, Right. You have to create your own identity and your own culture. And if you want to play Bethel music, great. If you don't, great. But to the person who says, I don't want to do that because it's Bethel, I want to know why. I want to have that conversation. Are you saying that because it's Bethel? Is it because you're envious of them? Is it because they're too charismatic? Is it because mm. they're too Pentecostal? Is it because they, um, have people up there painting while worship is going on or have people twirling flags while worship is going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Please tell me why and what bothers you about that, right? So like Scott and I are Church of God pastors and Church of God Anderson is very, I don't know what the right word is, Scott, like conservative in their worship, conservative in their beliefs, conservative in their theology. And like, we don't do the whole speaking in tongues thing but Bethel is very like all about the gifts of the spirit. And so you may watch a Bethel broadcast or go to Bethel church and you may see somebody speak in tongues when they're praying and that's completely foreign to you. Mm -hmm. But as far as the worship is concerned, I, what I would like to say is I feel like people are threatened by what they don't know.
0: Yeah. Um, And, and I, and I get that. And I, and you know, for me, like when I kind of approach you know, the times I would approach worship, you know, a lot of times it's more of, you know, how, how's the spirit leaving, leading, how's the spirit mm-hmm. moving. And those are the songs that I'm going to pick. And even, even if the pastor's going to be preaching on, I don't know, like if he's going to be preaching on sin and redemption, then, you know, I'm probably going to have some songs that's going to talk about redemption um, con- conquering, you know, kind of, you know, Jesus paying the price for our sin, you know, those are the type of themes or songs that I want to do, because in some ways, you know, I think, and part of it might be just like my theater background is like, with worship services, it's about trying to create a flow, and trying to create a flow so that people when they're singing these songs, and then you get to the message, it all kind of, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem fragmented. It seems everything kind of fits and flows together within the service. And I think a lot of that has to do with um, how the spirit moves. Um, on the same time, I think one of the main arguments with Bethel music or or like an elevation or why people say, I don't want to choose their songs is because not necessarily it's they disagree with the theology, but I'm also kind of curious with, you know, let's say, um, Let's say, Micah, you create music and you have your own, like you're on a random, you're with Word Entertainment record label, you're recording worship music. I buy your worship CD. And I know that when I buy Micah Current's worship album, I know that how the business works, that there's going to be some stuff going to your management, some stuff going to Word Entertainment, some stuff going to you, some stuff going to a publicist. So the $12 that I pay or $15 bucks that I pay for your CD certain points are going they get a
1: dollar and fifty cents from it
0: <laughs> yeah, you might get a dollar and fifty cents <laughs> plus I mean if I'm streaming it all the time you're only getting like a half penny. a penny per <laughs> stream <laughs> but then when you look at someone like a Bethel and you kind of look at the CD or you look at kind of well who's who's producing this what's the record company and then you find out well it's Bethel it's elevation that's producing it. So then, and again, I don't know how it works, but I'm assuming that if I pay fifteen dollars to listen to a Bethel album, that fifteen bucks is going to the people within Bethel to support them, to support their ministry, to support the publicist or the sound engineer that's over there at Bethel who produced this worship album.
1: Yeah, and I was gonna, so say, that Bethel, what I was gonna that? say that Bethel. No, 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 I was gonna say that Bethel has like You know, they do everything in house, they have studios in their in their venue, they have people Mm -hmm. that are on staff that are paid full time to mix and, you know, do their audio engineering. And when they write songs, they record it and produce it with video and and audio. And they've got a guy in a separate room when their live streams going who gets paid full time to mix their live stream broadcast. Exactly. And it sounds incredible.
0: Yeah. And so, so when you think about, so like for me, when I sing a Bethel song and I get my CCLI license, or let's say I, I'm a multi-track guy and I buy the multi-track to mm-hmm. a Bethel song, then that money's going to them. And if I disagree with their teaching or their theology, then am I funding, am I continuing to add fire to a theology that I disagree with? Or am I funding the performers and the musicians and the sounds engineer? That are producing the music and not necessarily putting money in, you know, the person's pocket who's preaching uh, the Bill Johnsons or the Steve Furtick who's preaching that I may disagree with their theology.
1: Well, could we go a little bit deeper into that then? Yeah, go right like, ahead. Let's like do it. what? What? I want to know theologically what people are differing with churches like Bethel Elevation. Is it is it their style? Is it what they're teaching? Is it how they're teaching? Is it the fact that they're Pentecostal and not, you know, straight laced Church of God or, or you know, Presbyterian or Lutheran? From what um, From
0: what I've heard, and this is this is just what I've seen, they're they're against a prosperity gospel. Okay, and you yeah. know things like a word of word of faith and elevation and um, and even like Bethel, you know, there is some prosperity gospel preaching that does come from those camps. Um, But at the same time, you know, I know people who are, you know, there's people who, their lives were changed by the ministry of like a Joel Osteen or a yeah. Stephen take. So it's, it's so, so kind of my take on all this and it's been my take kind of since day one, when it comes to worship is, you know, if the spirit is leading you and it's leading you to sing these songs or to perform these songs, to lead people to have transformation, to connect with God, to connect with Jesus, to connect with the Holy spirit in a powerful way through worship then I don't see why we should kind of, you know, cut the Achilles heel and say, well, we're not going to do this stuff, but we're going to do this stuff because I mean, because there might be people who may disagree with church of God theology. So they're not going to sing any Gaithers. Sure. Or, or maybe, you know, I was at a concert and Chris Tomlin was a big old jerk to me and it's like, well, I'm not playing any of your music anymore. You know, it's like, well, he could have had a bad day. I mean, he's touring. I mean,
1: Again, I, I'm I running. Think,
0: I'm running on fumes right now, sleeping, so I can understand how <laughs> someone could be a little testy. Oh,
1: <laughs> well, and and I think too, Scott, like to your point, like I think that comes down to a heart issue, mm. right? I think it comes down to what do you believe? Why do you believe it? And why is that rubbing you the wrong way? As people who are being critical of churches such as Bethel or Elevation, and I'm not like defending or or in this conversation we're just having a candid conversation about this um but like part of the reason bethel moves me so much as a christ follower and as a pastor and as a leader as a worship leader is that when they sing they sing with their whole hearts and you can tell that they're worshiping god and you can tell that that's what they're called to do and you can tell that like um it's evident that the the words that they're choosing to write when they write their own music is biblically centered. Mm. But I think that we can all interpret that differently. Like you may di- believe something completely different than I do. And I may believe something completely different than you do. And that's okay. At the end of the day, as long as we believe that Jesus died for us, that's okay. Right. And so like, I may not like because he lives, I grew up listening into it. Right. And I loved it when, um, David Crowder redid that song in Mm -hmm. more of a bluegrass, um, kind of way. Mm -hmm. And I've led that song several times throughout my ministry, but you know, it may not appeal to to Timmy and Sandy who walked in the church for the first time. You know, they may not understand what that song's about yet because they don't know what Jesus did for them.
0: Yeah. Or, or even, or even like, like, let's say a song like graves in the gardens, someone's playing that and you could have people who came in like well i'm just i'm just using
1: that as no, no no it's funny that you said that because i i just i felt like when that song came out it just got played way too much but uh...
0: I, I, I yeah i mean again i don't listen to the radio so half the time when i listen to it it's just like oh okay that's good so i kind of limit how much i'm consuming stuff
1: sure. but let's
0: say that song of like you know from like death and resurrection graves and gardens like that type of theme and someone could be coming in and dealing with like a drug addiction they could hear that song and again their life could be transformed by that and that song could touch them in such a way but if i was a worship leader i go well i'm not playing elevation because they preach a prosperity gospel then what other song could i have picked that may have had that same effect with just the style the prose the lyrics the the style the musical style it was written in You know, there's so much factors that go into creating a worship service and creating that culture that sometimes by kind of blindly saying, well, we're not going to do this. I mean, that's almost like me pointing out the speck in someone's eye and not realizing that there's a log in my own eye sometimes.
1: Sure. And like, for example, I just looked up what we were talking. There's a Bethel song that I really, really like called You Deserve It All. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with it, Josh Baldwin heard it, mm-hmm. but um, I remember riding in my car one day and I heard this song, I just had the YouTube video playing of it and, you know, Bethel can't do a song in four minutes. Like their spontaneous worship goes on and on and on. And it was like a 15 minute song, but like <laughs> the words just spoke to me and like, like I pulled it up and um, verse one is founding your name, the power to save. It's only a whisper mountain shake. Jesus, our hope and strength. You made a way, unlock these chains, hearing your presence strongholds break free by the love you gave. And then the chorus goes like, we give you the highest praise. You deserve it all. You deserve it all. You deserve it all. Mm -hmm. And I think that when people come to that revelation of knowing Jesus and what he did and what he accomplished that man, that's just one of the most powerful things ever. And like we, as, as believers should take the time to worship and But again, I don't think that people, I get kind of emotional talking about it, but people don't get that. Mm -hmm. And I think we get caught up in the quote unquote worship wars when, man, somebody's going through a horrible thing in life. You know, maybe they lost somebody, maybe they lost their job, maybe they're dealing with sickness themselves. Like they may come into your service broken. You know, from drug addiction or, or, you know, alcohol abuse, or they're in an abusive relationship, or whatever. Their their spouse walked out on them. The right song at the right time, regardless of who the author is, regardless of who the church that wrote it, the regardless of, you know, who's doing it, could speak to that person, minister to that person. I think we get so caught up and hyped, um, about who did what that we forget what the real meaning is.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So. I want to kind of switch gears and kind of talk about worship technology, because you said that you've had the opportunity kind of in your floating season that mm. you've been able to do some consulting, been able to check out other people's live stream services, see how they produce content to, you know, looking at soundboards and, and all those other aspects. So why is technology vital to a worship service? Because I think for some people, they just see it as materialism or it's just extra stuff and, or it's something extra that we have to do as a church to kind of keep going. That's just going to take up a lot of time and energy. So why is technology important in worship?
1: That's (laughs) that's an amazing (laughs) question. Um, And again, I don't think there's uh, like a true science to it, but um, I think if anything COVID taught us, was that we, as a church in North America, the majority of churches were just way far behind in respect to um, online community, online churches. like most churches have a website, most churches have a Facebook page, most per- churches have um, you know some sort of following online. Um, and some churches may stream, their services and some churches may not, but like when COVID hit and we were all sitting at home, you know, not knowing what in the world was going on with, with the church or the rest of the world, um, we still needed to bring the gospel and the hope of Jesus to them, even if it was through their TVs their smartphones their tablets, whatever. And I think that, um, it's important because something that I learned, I started an online ministry, um, i to say in 2017 at the church I was working at at the time, I think that it's important because legitimately there may be people that cannot come to church for whatever reason, mm-hmm. right? They may have to work third shift. They may have to um, work on Sundays. They may um, be bedridden in a nursing home. They may be on vacation. They may be, you know, you name the reason and they're, You know, there's a million and one reasons why people may not be able to experience church in person. So, Mm -hmm. if you're replicating what you're doing in your in person experience online and creating that online experience, it's very important to duplicate that. Because if you think about it, a lot of churches say, Hey, I only have one campus. My church runs 200 people on the weekend, and that's all we are. But if you're creating that online campus and you're creating um, an environment for people to worship, remotely, mm-hmm. um, it gives people that opportunity. And and if you grow that audience and grow that community, you can view that as a campus, yeah. right? I talked to a pastor friend of mine a couple of weeks ago and they said, um, they're going through a season, um, right now where they're, they're transitioning a bunch of staff and they, the, the folks are just starting to come back from COVID and they're running like 300 in person on, you know, during the weekend, but they're also running 80 to hundred online which is incredible because you can view that as a separate campus, but I think it's important to do that. And yes, it's a lot of money and yes, it's an investment, but it's an important investment because you can reach people for Jesus through a computer screen, just as much as you can reach people for Jesus, you know, in person. And there's been lots of stuff on social media recently, and I'm not here to trash anybody or talk ill about anybody, but like, I think I've seen people post about all the churches are empty. Well, that's <laughs> you know, like they, you know what I mean, Scott. Like there's like this argument of like, oh, they shouldn't be watching it online. Well, maybe they can't watch it in person. Maybe they can't come to church. And like
0: and especially, and, and I'll talk to like even like one of the big things is like with my especially like even when we open up doors at the church I was pastoring at, my mom, my mom, oh gosh, that's a Freudian yeah. slip, my wife, <laughs> and my and my mark for edit, and my kids and my kids weren't coming because my kids you know they couldn't get vaccinated and my wife really had a huge concern she didn't want our kids to get affected or sick or have something worse happen to them because they weren't unvaccinated so she said well we'll watch it at home and that's what they did so I go over and I preach you know to a audience and to an online audience and an in-person audience and and it was the same thing like even then like I had to keep telling people like you know we're having almost we I mean we're having more views online than we've had actual people within the church and I think that's something we need to, to capitalize on so yeah when I think about technology in church I think what it does is it be able to create opportunities to not only engage people who may not regularly attend church because a lot of times some people may be watching your service online because they're they want to check you out they want to go okay is this a place is this a church that looks safe is this a church that you know i think that i could come to and actually connect with and enjoy and or maybe i this is a church where i want to know what they're doing like how are they benefiting the communities that they're in so you know when you're Even like, you know, some churches, when you walk in, when you turn on the, you know, they have like a scrolling announcement thing. And if it's just like, come to our spaghetti dinner, come to this. And it's not like, hey, come bring supplies for shoe boxes for Operation Christmas Child or or here, we're going to pack backpacks for uh, students for first day of school. You know, when you see that you can go, oh, this is a church that's really cares about their community and really care about helping Empower and change people's lives. Um, My whole view of technology, I'm going to go way back to when we started having projector screens Mm. and how messed up and how people fought against that. Yeah. Projector screens. And the funny thing about that, and it was something that uh, one of my uh, professors at Ashland, um, when I was in seminary, said he says, one of the things is you had an older generation that was so opposed to these screens because, you know, we were going to throw away all the hymnals and yet the older generation liked the projecting screens, because when you would sing those hymns, you can actually see the words because the print was so small in the hymn book. You couldn't see it, but when it's on a size 78 font on a screen, you can see it pretty good. And I thought, you know, that, that's fascinating how something that we could be so opposed to ends up becoming a big blessing in disguise that we didn't realize like, oh, wow, I can actually see the word so I can sing along and actually see the words that I'm singing to. Cause I think, so when I think about technology and even like, you know, you talk about, you know, using it to proclaim the gospel or to get the word out. Like, I mean, even in this season of transition for me, you know, there's times where I may apply to a church and I'm checking them out. I'm checking out their live stream and just saying, OK, you know, is this a culture that I think that my skill sets, my talents, would this be something where I could easily come in here and we can really do some changes or this is going to be like throwing oil and water? And it's like, you know, maybe this isn't going to be a good fit right now. So I might just have to say, yeah, I'm not going to apply to this place <laughs> because it may not be a good fit.
1: And my wife and i you know are kind of in that same uh, season like we're still filling in and serving at various places but like trying to find a home church at the same Mm -hmm. time and i I will tell you scott that that's the first thing i do is i look at their live stream i look at their website i look at their social i see what they're doing i see you know how many people go to that church or how many people follow their stuff what does their marketing look like what does their branding look like do they have a brand do they have a logo do they have a live stream Mm -hmm. do they have a website and like you know those are all important tools however It's also, you know, can be a disguise at times, too, because I know that I've looked at websites and I'm like, that looks nothing like what I saw online versus Mm. walking into the church, if that makes sense.
0: Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it's almost like like you got catfished, church catfished. (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i mean when i think about technology and i mean i can go back to the days when i would do online gaming and i would play a lot of online gaming and i can remember i play games that my boss at the time when i worked at camp was just like why do you play this game and why are you playing it online it's like because well a because i enjoy it but b i'm talking to people about jesus through here mm-hmm. and there's people who are asking me questions about who god is so it's like so, yeah, if I'm playing this, you know, Call of Duty game, but yet I'm talking about Jesus and God while I'm going around and, you know, shooting it up, like, I mean, I can, I can understand people could kind of look at that and frown upon it and raise eyebrows. But at the same time, it's like, well, you know, I'm, not, I'm able to connect with people that I wouldn't be able to connect with or, you know, people who have qu- spiritual questions, but yet they're not going to set foot inside a church building and talk to a pastor or a church leader and going, Hey, I have this question about the Bible or about God, you know? So when you can, and I do think it, it comes a- back to,
1: I think it comes to also, Scott, that people don't, they're afraid of what they don't know. Mm-hmm. And then they're afraid that it's going to cost money. Yeah. Right? Cause churches just don't want to spend money. Right. And for me, I think one of the things when, when COVID happened, when we were all sitting at home, the staff that I worked on at the time, we were like, okay, we're going to do daily devos on Facebook for example, right? We're going to have a devotion that's 10, 15 minutes. Uh, each staff member takes a different day of the week and we go live at eight o'clock or eight thirty during the week on the weekdays, right? During the season of COVID. And we went, we did that for almost a year, but you know what, Scott, that's free. It's absolutely free, right? You can pick up your phone right now and go to your Facebook app and go live or TikTok or Instagram or whatever platform that you're using and it's free yeah and so that's just another free tool digitally that can reach people for jesus
0: exactly a hundred agree with you, a hundred percent so moving right along, you know when we think about worship, we talk about music, we talk about the technology, but then when do we but then there's sometimes where you could have services where you know someone could be doing artistry, painting during a worship service, you could have. Um, People do more of a dance to a song or to the service. You can have, you know, people do skits and drama. Does that have a place in the worship service? And if so, what should its ultimate goal be? And what would be some of the, and especially people who may criticize like a dance or a drama during a church service, like what would we say to those people on why that can be acceptable within a worship space on like a Sunday morning or a Saturday evening.
1: Um, <laughs> am I stumping you? <laughs> no, I'm just trying to be very careful of how I answer it because, like, as, as a worship guy, um, I that'll be something that I've will openly admit that I struggle with, like, mm. um, and two seasons come to mind, um, which are Easter and Christmas, um. Sometimes I feel like we just try to cram so much into those seasons because of the significance of those seasons. Yeah. And try to keep it simple. Um, what was the question? How do I feel about those things? You know, so, I mean, how
0: do we incorporate them into worship service where it's actually meaningful? Um, sure.
1: Well, as much as I struggle with those two seasons that I just named Easter or Christmas, I think it's um, also a good time to stick some of that stuff right in those seasons as well as much as I struggle with trying to, okay, I don't want to over plan. I don't want to under deliver. I want to have some balance, but am I going to have somebody, you know, paint while we do a worship song about the resurrection of Jesus or um are we going to have a kid's group do a skit, you know, in relevance to the story of Christmas. And I don't know, let's just use Charlie Brown as an example, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, just like, how they go, you know, what's the real reason for Christmas. And Jesus is the reason for the season. And, you know, I think that is a balance. Um, but to be, to be fair, I don't know that that always fits in worship, right? There are special moments and special times where those things can be incorporated, such as special music, such as, you know, a guy playing, I don't know, a trumpet, um, somebody painting during, uh, during the offering or, um, you know, a drama or Scott, you were talking about that shortly before we, started, we, shortly before we started recording, but like having some drama in worship and like how that was like something different that you would never experience before. Mm-hmm. But again, I think that there's a balance. I think balance is the word of this podcast. If we don't hear anything else to yeah. say, I think balance should be key. And if you, um, you have an appropriate amount of Um, balance when you think of elements in worship whether it's you know drama painting special music kids play you name it and you know during the season uh whether it's Christmas Easter Thanksgiving um there has to be balance and I think that there needs to be um we we talked about culture a little bit ago but talk through what your culture you know of expectations are within those realms, if that makes sense. Like if yeah. you, if you are wanting to have a kid's play or drama with incorporated in your worship, like it has to have some significance as to what you're doing. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so that people understand you're not doing it just because, does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like,
1: I think that we need to, you know, create balance when it comes to adding certain elements to worship. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I would and I would say balance. I also would say, you know, it kind of goes back to my earlier point. We talked about music. You know, sometimes certain people have certain views, whether they're right or wrong about why we should or shouldn't do something. And I think probably the greatest example is the church that I was that I grew up in Uh, for years. There have been people who want to do a dance ministry. And every time we try to bring it up, somebody would say, well, no, you can't do it because dancing's bad or it's sinful or whatever the case may be. So there is one particular season where they try to do dance stuff and we were told you could do it, but you couldn't do it in a sanctuary. You couldn't. You could do it anywhere else in the church except the sanctuary because that's sacred ground, you know? It's mm. like, okay, whatever. Um, now that sounds really bad, I should have said whatever, but um, so there's a couple times they did some stuff, and one of the big things was the spinning around. Like, if you stood still and you can kind of move your hands to the left, like almost like doing like a very slow hula, that would be okay, but if you did like a 360 spin, that was too sinful. I, I don't know, like, that's what apparently the elder board when they're just watching people dance and saying okay this is acceptable this isn't so you know they've done a couple things where they did sign language or they took like dowel rods and they did like like almost like boom whackers where they would beat sticks and do stuff to music like but they would always stand in place so they started to do stuff in the sanctuary and people were enjoying it and then easter came and my dad goes oh hey get the camera we want to film this i'm like okay so we're filming this and they're doing it and they're kind of moving to the left, moving. And then some of them are spinning in circles. I'm thinking, uh oh, like, uh oh, stuff's about to go down now. And then all of a sudden, as they're doing this song on Easter, the kids come through the side doors and they have palm branches and they're going through the running through the aisles and they're going to the front. And then as they're waving, they're waving their palm branches high. And then my dad was one of the performers and he picked up a teen on his shoulder and lifted him up. And the teen took the sticks and made a cross. And that's how it ended just like that. It's like, okay, you know, that was pretty cool. Like I, I enjoyed it. It was great. It was, it was done tastefully. So then the next day I get a call from the associate pastor saying, Hey, Scott, you filmed, you filmed the uh, server, the Easter service. Yeah. Sunday, right? I go, yeah. And I go, do you film the, the dance number? I go, yeah. And he goes, Hey, is there any way you can like take like pictures. Like you can just do like a still shot from a video. I go, yeah, I have software. I can, I can do that. Why? And he says, because our communications director wants to get that picture of your dad lifting up Luke at the end with all the kids waving the palm branches and wants to put that in the bulletin. And I said, who, who said that, who wants that? And he told me the name and I'm like, yeah, I I can, I can send it to you. I immediately called my dad because the person he said was the person who said, if you ever did any dancing in the church, they were going to leave the church. And they were so moved by it that they wanted to get a picture of it to put it in the church bulletin (laughs) and the church newsletter. And ever since then, like there had never been an argument about dancing. So when you talk about balance, I think there's the idea of trying to create a balance when you're trying to do like a drama or a dance or a painting or something that may be again, something that's different at the same time. I think that if you can kind of push the envelope and kind of help take people along for the ride and just be able to see, you know, that it's okay. This stuff that we're doing is not bad. It's not sinful. It's actually, it's not tasteless. It's actually can be used as a catalyst to really move people and really kind of set a tone for the entire Easter service for people to let their defenses down and to allow the Holy spirit to do some great stuff. So when you see something like that happen, it's like, well, you know, why are we so, you know, again, why are we so afraid of something thinking something's, why are we too quick to condemn something bad when really it moved a lot of people, especially the person who thought that dance was bad. And if it ever happened, they were going to leave and then they wanted to put it in a church
1: newsletter. (laughs) I just want to throw Second Samuel 6, 14 through 22. uh, Verse 14 says, And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and blowing the ram's horns. Yeah. And where was that? That's the Old Testament, but that was in the Bible before any of these people. Well, (laughs) well,
0: the funny thing, the argument, because my dad brought that up at a meeting, and the argument was, Well, that was the Old Testament and we're a New Testament church. I'm like, No, we are a biblical church. That's the Mm -hmm. church of God. It's not New Testament. Plus, I even told my dad, like, well, technically dancing was in the New Testament. If you look at the story, the parable of the prodigal son, Mm -hmm. when the prodigal son returned, there was much home, There was a bunch of dancing. A bunch of dancing. And that would have been a cultural thing that would have happened then. It's not just something in the story. And my dad goes, yeah, I should bring that up. I'm like, next meeting, bring it up. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's the New Testament. You can even read that scripture. Here you go. Just don't tell me I gave it to him because I don't want people coming
1: out. And what I'll say say to all that is, why are we having these conversations? Exactly. You know, why is that the issue and why is that? And it comes back to, is that a hard issue? And the answer Mm -hmm. to that for me would be yes. If you're struggling with those things and you're insecure about something on your own end and you need to work out your own, what scripture says, right? Work out your own salvation. And if you're in trembling before the Lord Mm
0: -hmm. and it's
1: not, um, people may be intimidated by something they don't know. Right. And it's just, it just, it's biblical. Right. And what it comes down to is that people need to stop worrying about these little things and having these petty arguments when the end goal should be Jesus winning souls for Jesus, because people are dying every single day and going to hell because they don't know Jesus because we've shunned them or we've become complacent as a church, or we don't want to do things that way, or we don't want to look at things differently. And we've been doing things. What's that phrase, Scott? we ain't never done this before or something like that in churches. Right. Like, but maybe you should start thinking about doing things like that. Maybe you should start thinking about how can I win souls for Jesus Christ? How?
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. And, that's that's another cultural issue, which we'll probably have to have a podcast on culture and leadership because <laughs> <laughs> that's what they basically that's what I'm immersed in now with my uh, doctorate. And it's it's fascinating. I'm only mm-hmm. just, I only got one semester done. I'm reading books for my second semester. I'm just like. Phew. But anyway, uh, i blowing. I want to I want to move over to um, the topic of ordinances or sacraments. And for those people who don't know what an ordinance or a sacrament is, it's usually a practice within the church that has some type of symbolic or sacred meaning. And usually probably the top two sacraments or ordinances that most churches would participate or practice in would be communion and baptism. I know or liturgy. The, uh,
1: what was that? Would liturgy be another one?
0: Uh it depends. Liturgy. Uh, yeah. Depending on certain ones, liturgy. And that's the thing, like Catholic church, they have like, I think they have like seven sacraments. One of them's marriage, um, okay. you know, church of God, we have three, it's foot washing, baptism communion. and, yeah. and communion. And then other people, you know, they just have communion and baptism and that's pretty much it. And some other people they have five. Um, so I guess when it comes to worship, I think one of the biggest struggles that I've always had is how do you make something like communion be so impactful and empowering and not feel like we're just kind of going through the motions or it's something that we do, whether you're a church that does communion every Sunday or once a month, or you do it a quarterly or only on special occasions, like, like what because I feel like sometimes when we get to these ordinances or these sacraments, I feel like sometimes they lose their symbolic meaning and the importance of why we practice these as a church body.
1: So to, to preface um, yeah. this question, um, I've been on staff at churches that have done communion every single week. And I've been at churches that have done communion once a month. And I've been at churches that have done communion once a quarter. Um, But back to the biblical conversation, what did Jesus say to do this in remembrance of me Mm -hmm. and do, and did he say, didn't he say do it often? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, um, and even if
0: you look at, and even if you looked at, um, the early church, it's like any time when they got together, there was always the breaking of bread, which usually kind of symbolizes that they would partake in communion with That's the breaking of bread.
1: Yeah. Um I think in, with churches in 2021, you know, shortly to, we're going to be in 2022 soon, Um that we have unlimited resources in promoting the way that we're doing our services, if that makes sense. Like where- uh-huh. Um, for example, like if I'm pastoring a church and this Sunday's communion Sunday, I want to make sure that my church knows that we're doing communion. And what I mean by that is like, we create a social media post, um, let our, let our, uh, church family know that we're doing communion. Um, and then even including elements within, um, the service itself, whether that's a worship song, you know, uh, you know. I mentioned it earlier. It's an older hymn, but Oh, the blood of Jesus. Let's just say we're going to do Oh, the blood of Jesus. And that's going to be our song. Um, as we prepare to take the elements, um, you know, including graphics on, uh, on the screens and make sure that like, whoever's facilitating that moment, like whether it's your youth pastor, your senior pastor, whoever that is, um, remind people of what we're doing and, you know, the, the reason behind it, as well as reminding folks that if they're watching online to go grab something, cause they may mm-hmm. not have elements like the traditional yeah. elements that we have in church, exactly. like in the church service, mm-hmm. like reminding them, including them. Um, I think that's important. Uh, but just reminding people of how special those moments are mm-hmm. um, and creating that space, whether it's lighting um, graphics on your screens, the scriptures that you're choosing um, the way that you're paraphrasing and explaining what Jesus did for his disciples on that night. And then explaining to what that means as far as the sacrifice of Jesus. And then moving forward Mm -hmm. as to why we're doing this and doing that in remembrance of Jesus and a sacrifice. I think you just have to be very careful, but at the same time, I think you have to make a space for people to really remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And, um, last year I served as an interim worship pastor at a a Baptist church in our area, in our community. And I served there for about six months, but I remember um, I would try to do a devotional and a prayer, you know, right before, you know, rehearsal every week. And um, one of the weeks I said, you know, how about we do communion? You know, let's do communion instead of just doing the normal devo and prayer. And, And Scott, I'll tell you, it was one of the most special times in my ministry of recent memory where the gravity of understanding what Jesus did. Yeah. Um, And I think including that in our worship services and our spaces, whether it's online or in person, that we really need to make that space, make it feel special. Does that make sense? Like, I think that, I think it's, it's pivotal, you know, and I think sometimes with churches that do it every single week, it almost feels like it's like rote, I think there's a, I've been using this word this entire podcast, but balance. Right? Balance. <laughs> I think I think there's a balance in the force. No, I think that you have to, <laughs> that's another podcast. Shout out to Jordan Halstead. Um, that's, um, that's something that like, we have to be careful of, I think, right? Because one church I worked at, we did it every single week and it almost lost, for me, it almost just lost its um, flair. It almost because, kind of
0: became ritualistic.
1: Yes, versus like, uh, the church I worked at before that, we did it once a month and it just seemed so much more special. Or if you're doing it in your small group or if you're doing it, you know, I don't know, once a quarter, something like mm-hmm. that, uh, balance, 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 balance.
0: And I think I think there's a, there's a key thing when it comes to the ordinance and the sacraments. And even though we're specifically talking about communion, which I think is fine, we don't really need to dive into the other ordinances or sacraments, but even especially with communion, just the idea of letting people know, here's what we're going to do. Here's the importance and the meaning behind it. And even just kind of taking more of a modern thing, like even during uh Easter, during the pandemic, I can remember when we were doing communion, I would tell people, hey, bake, you know, something you could do with your family, bake bread and talk make about an activity you know, out of it, like make an activity and, you know, family activity and how and, you know, what does it mean when Jesus says that this is my body and what it means being the body of Christ and kind of, you know, for families and, and making that. And I thought, you know, that would be good to just, and, and I even gave a bread recipe. Here's a bread recipe for you to try that I use when I make communion bread, you know, try this. and just So then that way, when you were doing it, it was, especially as far as a family, there was a significance because you made it together, you did it together, you're doing it even though we're doing it as a church at large, even though we're in a digital space, you have more of the intimacy of just your close family. And then you have the spiritual connectedness of everybody within the church body partaking communion, which is why I think communion Sunday is so great because it's not only just your church, but it's all the other churches around the world. So you kind of, have so even just understanding the gravity that this is a day that all of God's people are partaking in communion, partaking in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and what that symbolizes and what that means. And I, I find that fascinating. And again, I think, you know, when it comes to ordinances sacraments, I don't like things being too ritualistic because I feel like once it just becomes, you know, this is my body, this is my blood and that's it, you know, it, it doesn't have any meaning. It doesn't have any purpose. So even just, even if you do it weekly, you know, not necessarily say jazz it up, but, you know, talk about certain importance or even how does the body and the blood, how do the communion elements fit into the message that you are proclaiming?
1: And I think, yeah, that's a great point. And um, one of the churches I used to work at, we, we would do worship like normal if it was communion Sunday. We would get to the communion block. We would do a communion song. Um, one that we did a lot was called New Wine, which is the Hillsong um, mm-hmm. tune. And um, we would do the song. Whoever was facilitating that moment would come up and explain communion. We would be playing underneath whoever that was. Like the band, the worship team would be playing the song underneath. They wouldn't be singing it, but the the band would actually be playing the music underneath. And then once we got to that, at the end of that moment, like after the pastor was done praying and talking through um, what the elements represented, like, you know, we built back up and we went right back into that song and it was just one of the, it, it was a powerful moment. Like we, we did that intentionally to know that like this is a serious moment and it's just another strategy I think as, as church leaders to help facilitate that moment um, with our congregants. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Good, good. Definitely. So the last point, the last part of this worship podcast I want to talk about is the message or the sermon um, or the proclamation of God's word. Um, You know, I think I said it, I don't know if I said it at the earlier, this podcast, or if I said it while we were warming, kind of doing like a pre-show thing talking about, you know, sometimes it seems like when we talk about worship, it's everything else except the sermon. Like that's always kind of like a an out-of-body part of the body of worship. But I think the message is something that is vital to the entirety of the worship service that we experience. So what are your thoughts on that about, do you feel like that the message is kind of something separate from worship or is it something that's a vital part to the entire worship experience?
1: Can I say both?
0: Both? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, let's, let me hear it. Let's hear your reasoning. Um,
1: uh i think that i've always i i've always made the joke as like the associate pastor on staff like i would much rather be the associate than the lead guy and but like I like to do all the behind the scenes stuff i like to you know make make my lead pastor's job easier right so like i've always made the joke as a worship leader that um I get to facilitate and bring the Holy spirit in and set the pastor up. Right. And like, get not set them up for like a bad, you know, for a bad thing, but set them up. So like, have a really good sermon. Right. But like, I've also, um, been in places where worship is completely separate and we have the worship service and then, we pray and then the bumper video hits and then the pastor gets up and preaches. And there's like, there's no connection. (laughs) Mm. Right. And so like, I'm not saying that's right or wrong or different, but I don't know. I'm more as a worship leader. I'm more of a, I want to say I'm more Pentecostal and more charismatic than most like of our church of God friends. Mm -hmm. Um, meaning that I love to just, when I was in ordination, one of my ordination coaches told me that, or just told my groups that we need to take a bath in God's grace, meaning that like, we are so blessed by the grace of God. If we sit down and truly think about grace and what it is for us, because we screw up every single day, but grace is God's unmerited favor. Right. Yeah. And so like, mm-hmm. you know, I love to just sit in the presence of God. And like, if we have a really, and I'm not saying this happens every week, but like, if we're having a really good worship service and we're really having that moment with Jesus and like the Holy Spirit just rips the roof off of the church in a good way and just invades our space and invades our hearts and we're feeling like man let's just sing that chorus again let's just sing that bridge again and just pray and believe and truly soak in what the Lord has for us Uh, that that can that can inhabit you know you know the praises of God's people Mm -hmm. in a heartbeat and that can happen anytime at once because like my dad always says this shout out to my dad um, plan for something to happen on, you know, on a service or on a Sunday that wasn't written in the bulletin, wasn't written in the program, wasn't written in the weekly, mm-hmm. because that means the spirit of God is there and present. And yeah. like, I think that's okay. Does that make sense? I don't know if I answered your question. I just well, think that like, it can, it can go both ways. Like yeah. you can have a church service. And if it's your culture and the, the, the identity that you created then you have worship, and it's like, hey, welcome to church. Let's stand together and worship and worship three songs and pray. And then run bumper video hits and your pastor preaches and that's it. Great. But if there's like, hey, let's stand together and worship and really take a moment to just worship Father God and just soak in his presence and pray. And it's just everything just clicks and it just flows well together. And even the sermon gets incorporated with the worship and like, you know, pastor invites you to come back up and let's sing that chorus again because it's just, it really resonates with what I'm teaching today. Yeah, and yes, yes, I'm all about yeah. that.
0: And 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 I would and I would say it. I think it it would depend. Um, because I mean I can think of times and and when I would preach, you know, we had everything flowing from the first song to the benediction song, everything connected to the message. So there was this nice little like narrative that happened through worship from beginning to end. Um, And then there's been times where I've gone up there and I've told my church, Hey, here's the message I'm going to preach. However, I'm not going to preach that message today. I feel like the spirit has led me to preach from this text and I've kind of went off the cuff. And I mean, and it was fine. And I think, and, and there's been sometimes after services, I've had people say, you know, the off the cuff just seemed to fit better because of what was going on and just the power that God was doing in the lives of people. You know, I think when it comes, I would say this about the message, because I mean, even though the spirit led off the cuff moments are great, I still feel like that there has to be on the, the person who's bringing the message that there has to be a discipline of preparation of just trying to prepare something To present and do it in such a way that is um, honorable and and filled with integrity, because I can remember it was 2016, I was preaching a ser- I was preaching a message on something and I had a member come up to me and ask me, do you write your own sermons? And I thought that was like the strangest question anyone asked me. I go, of course I do. Like, why wouldn't I? <laughs> like, And, and the comment, the next thing that came out of this person's mouth it goes, well, there's a lot of pastors that just rip off other people's sermons. They just, they, you know, they, they basically plagiarize. And I thought, my goodness, like, that's like to me, I feel I have a hard time with people saying this is the word of God and you're preaching something, and you found out that none of it was theirs, it was someone else's, and that they didn't even give credit to whoever did the work and the preparation for them. Um, I think sometimes when it comes to proclaiming the message, that it's important that. Not only do we prepare, but like you said, you know, sometimes it's important that we leave some room to allow the spirit of God to be able to do that work. Because, you know, I could come up with the greatest message in the world for that Sunday. But then there could be some people who may be dealing with some stuff that I don't know as a pastor, but yet the spirit knows and says, hey, great message but Sunday you're going to be preaching this, you know, it could be Saturday night right before I bed. And you can just kind of feel like, you know, I shouldn't be preaching this message or you could just feel like, okay, I need to go preach this message instead. And you do that. And you just see how much it goes. And I think when it comes to, I think what scares, I think what scares a lot of ministers is if you're someone who's detail oriented and you want to be analytical and have everything laid out on how you want to do things, that then you get that, curveball or you get that prompting that you need to preach something else i think there's in a way where you want to fight against that because it's like well it's not going to be polished and if it's not polished then it's not going to be good or it's not going to be online friendly because there's a lot of ums and uhs and stuff <laughs> <laughs> and it's like but at the same time i don't need to read off a teleprompter you know, I can read off a teleprompter when it's time for me to read off a teleprompter or to read off my notes, but at the same time, if the Spirit's moving, then I can leave the script aside because I know that the hand of God is moving through me and that whatever's coming out of my mouth is going to be from the Lord because he ordained it and it's going to do some transformative work in someone's life, whether it's to the body's knowledge or not to the body's knowledge. It could impact someone who's watching on the YouTube feed and they go, wow, this changed my life and you wouldn't know that if you stick to the script
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i i would what i would say is that like prepare like you're gonna preach but if the spirit of the lord is saying otherwise then you need to listen to that and as we've talked about worship during this time together and we've talked about preaching and different elements of the service like it's okay to change things up um and what I'll say to that is that most people, I guess what I've learned in the last couple of years is that most people don't even know, right? If you change something on the fly, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like they're just there, they're there to to be a part. And yeah. for the most part, I don't see them. I've done stuff when I've led worship personally or I've taught, I mean, Scott, you could say more to this than I, mm-hmm. I can, because you've done more preaching ministry than I have. Um, yeah. But just, most people I've had people come up to me and they were like, well, did you plan that? And I'll say, no. <laughs> and they'd be like, well, you would never know. Right. Yeah. So yeah. You just have to go with your gut and what your heart's telling you. And if the Lord's telling you to do something different, then that's okay too.
0: And, and I guess, you know, and I'm going to go back up to technology again. I know I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm throwing an audible here. What that's are you what we're talking about? Well, yeah, exactly. What are your thoughts on multi-tracks? Because You know, when I think about worship, because the times I've done worship and I usually most of my worship experience has been in a camp setting where there's times where we play and, you know, there's times where we may repeat a course five or six times. There's a time where the pastor does say, hey, play this song again to close out before we dismiss to go to our evening activity. And I feel like. And I mean, I've used multitracks before, especially when I have a band that's not there and it's just going to be me on bass. It's like, well, I better get in accompaniment because it's going to be kind of weird me strumming a couple, bumping a couple notes on my bass and leading sure. tunes. But um, and I liked it and I almost like it because especially it helps my worship team be aligned. And I think it kind of helps with practices at the same time, I feel like if you're you're solely committed to a track, how much flexibility do you have? Because you can't really just go and say, let's repeat the chorus again, because it's all kind of laid out and you can't really do a lot of stuff on the fly unless you have a powerhouse system and a powerhouse engineer that can just do that right on the fly real quick, which... I don't necessarily think that is even possible at this point.
1: Um, so I almost feel like that could be a podcast in itself. But I think, <laughs> but I think, no, 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 seriously. But I think like the short of it, mm-hmm. um, I'm a big proponent because I, you know, my undergraduate degrees are in music performance. I studied per- percussion and, and um, um, piano in college. I've been playing guitar, I played bass, been a worship leader for 10 years. Um, but it goes back to what we said very early on in this podcast about creating a culture of excellence. And I think that excellence should be included in worship. And part of that excellence is using things like click tracks, multi-tracks, loops, stems, Ableton Live, whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. um, or whatever software you want to use. Um, And it's to me, it's biblical. And in first Chronicles, it talks about how the musicians were trained and skilled before the Lord. I think that we should create that culture of excellence and create Mm. the sense of. This isn't just, oh, get up there and we're going to wing it. We take this very seriously. We create that culture. And in the most in most churches and circles that I've worked in in the last three to five years, you have to audition to even get on the worship team. And that includes playing with click tracks, and that includes um, being able to use, you know, things like in ear monitors so that you can hear the clicks and yes. be able to hear yourself and hear other people, and use Aviom systems and other things like that, and um, wireless in ear packs. But um, something that I've noticed, like yes, we can become dependent on the click, but at the same time, it makes us better as a team because. I've said in countless worship um, ministry conferences where they said the click's not wrong. The click is never wrong. Right. So like if you're not able to play with a click, you're not, <laughs> you're not there. Like it's not, it's not nothing personal. You may be able to play music, but as far as what we're doing in a worship sector. Yes. As far as your question regarding spontaneous worship um, I've uh <clears throat> not the last church I worked at, but the church before that we had a guy who would run our clicks who played bass and he was the MD. So he would run our click tracks. We would wear in ears and he would tell us in our ears what we were doing. So like if, if the click went awry or we lost the track, he would click, uh, he would kill the track, but you would still hear the click and you would just keep going. Or, you know, in that moment, like if pastor came up and said, you know, come on church, celebrate that, celebrate that moment, celebrate the fact that Jesus died for you. And like, we're swelling on the symbols and we're playing all our notes and things like that. Like, I think you get to the point as a team, if you're, you know, if you've been playing together long enough that like you can Mm -hmm. play or get pretty close to the tempo without having a quick track playing in the background, if that makes sense. Also with Ableton live, I've played in uh, settings where Ableton, um, and for 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 those who don't even know what we're talking about <laughs> um there's there are there are programs um that you know such as ableton live multi-tracks uh has an app called playback and then mm-hmm. community has an app called prime and they're just they're simply apps that can enhance instruments if you don't have a lead guitar player one week or a drummer one week or a bass player one week you can put those in your your mix and then like If you're wearing any of your monitors, you can hear the click track, which is just the beats per minute in your head, in your ears. Um, The congregation can't hear that, but the musicians can. So, uh, Ableton Live, back to that. Ableton Live will actually, you can actually plan an entire service in Ableton Live, meaning that you can put your lighting cues, your slides, your clicks, your pads, everything that you're using in a worship service. So, like, if you're the music director, you can come in on Sunday morning and if your service is at nine 30, your first service, you hit the space bar, you can click the entire service off from start to finish using, um, Ableton. So, and, and the reason I say that is that about two months ago I was playing keyboard at a church and they used Ableton and they had communion. Uh, We talked about communion. Hey, Mm -hmm. um, it was communion Sunday that week. And during that, um, service we did the opening song um a welcome went right back into worship to two songs a pastor came up and set communion up i played keyboard underneath the pastor talking about communion but the click was still going it had no track or anything under it, but the click kept going the click was just pretty much simultaneously you can create those fades in and out mm-hmm. and yeah so there's ways around that and you don't need to have some sort of big production to do that but yeah. I'm a big proponent of click tracks and I believe that it brings teams to the next level that need to be. Um, yeah, and it's not, it may be completely foreign at first, but like once, once it happens and like, I remember, uh, one of the churches I worked at where we, the band had been using clicks, but the the singer said not, and the band had been using ears and the singer said not. So like we, got the singer's ears and we got the singers, you know, you know, invested with in-ears and click uh, click tracks and it just made our team that much better. Yeah. And it goes back to that scripture. First Chronicles along with their relatives, they were trained and skilled in music before the Lord Mm -hmm. they were and they were um, excellent musicians.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, definitely. And I think even sometimes with that, because especially if you have rotating teams and you have skilled musicians, Mm -hmm. the fact that a click track can really help bind everyone together Whereas me working at a camp and, you know, sometimes you could have a different guitar player, sometimes like, okay, they have a little different style. We really got to practice and really kind of get things down or we're going to be off. And there's been a couple of, definitely a couple of services where we were off and I would get frustrated because I'm like, okay, we're off, we're off, we're off, we're off. And it's like, well, I can't do anything because I'm not the worship leader, but I can tell as a music guy, we're off and we need to get back on track. (laughs) especially when we had kids clapping it kept throwing off our drummer all the time which our drummer was chicks <laughs> oh,
1: shout,
0: out to chick. <laughs> shout out to chick anyway but micah thank you so much for um being with us i think we had a lot of great um conversation about all these different attributes and aspects of worship that kind of helps find a culture of worship. And again, like we've said, a lot of times, don't be afraid to try new things. Don't be afraid to ask for help and balance, balance, balance. Those would be kind of the summary of this uh, podcast. So guys, thank you so much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed. If you uh, like uh, listening to this podcast, uh, feel free to give us a five-star review on wherever you listen to this podcast. Feel free again, also to go to the scottstedman.com and just check that website out for any updates that I may have and some new things, new goals and things that I want to try to do on this podcast. And definitely would appreciate your input and your Uh, guys' view because, again, you guys have supported me since I started doing this back in geez, 2008. I started podcasting, so I've been doing it for a while. So, guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, and I'll talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.